scripture this morning will be from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Good morning and welcome. We are grateful for your presence. We are so thankful that you are here today. If you're visiting with us, we want to encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We're very grateful for the privilege that we have to come together on the first day of the, first day of the week to worship God in spirit, spirit and in truth. And we're very thankful for the freedoms that allow us the opportunity to come together. We're going to be looking at 2 Peter chapter 3 in just a moment. We're going to be talking today... We focused on Jesus as he and three of the apostles went to the Garden of Gethsemane. We have looked at the crucifixion of Christ, and then we have also talked about the resurrection of Christ. And today we want to think for a moment or two about the second coming of Jesus. There is a multitude of evidence in the new at the right hand of the throne of Almighty God. The angels on that occasion told the apostles that Jesus would come again in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter verifies for us the second coming of Christ. We want to talk for just a moment or two about his coming the first thing that I would call your attention to is the skepticism over his coming. And really what Peter does in verse 1 and following is to remind his readers of some things from the past and then point to the present. And so look, if you would, at verse 1. And what you need to understand is that among those in the first century, there was some faulty reasoning. And they had concluded that the Lord wasn't coming. There, were, there was a lot of speculation in the first century about the coming of Christ. The first generation of Christians, many of those people had died. And so the question is raised, where is the promise of his coming? Well, in light of that, look now at verse 1. Here's what Peter said, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up, your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come or arise in the last days, walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So, Peter here talks to the people of his day about this voice of skepticism that seemed to be prevalent. There were some that had concluded that Jesus wasn't coming again. If you go back and you read some of the epistles of the Apostle Paul, like the book of 1 Thessalonians, when you read that book, it seems apparent that there were many that had concluded that the Lord was on the verge of coming at any point in time. Well, we know the fact of the matter is that he could come at any time. But some of those Christians in the first century were quitting their jobs. They were 
ceasing their normal functions and activities in life and awaiting his, his coming. Well, Peter here is saying that since the first century, or rather since the first generation of Christians had, had died, there were some who were now voicing concerns about the coming of Christ. They were mocking his coming. Where's the promise of his coming? I mean, he said he was coming, he hasn't come, so obviously the inference is he's not coming at all. And so with that in mind now, Peter sets forth some facts about his coming. He reports the facts as they are and as they were. In verse 5, listen to what he says. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. God, as you well know, created the world. God is the one that spoke this world into existence. The very God who created this world later cleansed the world from sinful people. Many people had become corrupt and ungodly, and so we read about the flood during the days of Noah. And Peter reminds his readers of that event. And in light of that event, listen now to what he says about the second coming of Christ. There were some that were, as I said a moment ago, voicing concerns about his coming. They were skeptical. They were mocking and ridicule and scoffing at the idea that Jesus would come again. And so in verse 7, here's what he says. But the heavens and the earth which now exist are kept in store by the same word, reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition or destruction of ungodly men. All Peter is saying is this. Just as surely as God destroyed the world by means of a flood, centuries ago, the same world that God created, he has reserved for destruction. How's he going to do that? Well, when Jesus comes, he's going to literally destroy the world as you and I know it. So, having said that, note if you would the surety of his coming. And this really has to do with the reality of the coming of Jesus. Whether we believe it or not, Jesus will come. And so having said that, look at verse 8. And there are a couple of things you need to see in these verses. First of all, Peter is going to say that the passing of time does not mean that Jesus will not return. And so look at verse 8. But beloved, do not forget this one thing. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Now we talk about time. We mark the days, the months, the years. We understand that we live under the constraints of time. Well, God is not bound by time like we are. Time really means nothing to God because God is from Everlasting to everlasting. That's what the psalmist would say in Psalm 90. You and I, however, we measure life by days and years by time. And what Peter is saying here is this. Just because a lot of time has elapsed doesn't mean Jesus is not going to come again. Just because he didn't come yesterday or last month or last year 
doesn't mean he's not coming again. Now, having said that, look, if you would, at verse 9. Because as we think about the delay of his coming, and that's what Peter is addressing here, he's going to first of all address the delay of his coming and then the day of his coming. With regard to the delay of his coming, he's, he's saying, look, just because time has elapsed doesn't mean he's not going to come again. But then in the second place, the provisions of time should be exercised so that we're ready for his coming. Look at verse 9. Peter said, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Peter here is emphasizing a great fact, a fact that all of us ought ought to think about. And that is, time is compared to a vapor. Life is compared to a vapor. And James said, it appears for a little while and then vanishes away. God wants us to be saved, doesn't he? Over and over again, the Bibles talk about God's innate desire for the human family. God loves us. God sent his son to die for our sins. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God commendeth his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 4 that God is not willing that any should perish. That's verse 9 of chapter 3 in 2 Peter, but that all should come to repentance. But in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, the Bible says that God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God is interested in your salvation. God loves you. So what does that mean to me? It means that I live in a world that is under the constraints of time. And time is literally ticking away. And so the time that I have on this earth, I need to exercise so that I might be in a right relationship with the Lord when he does come. Sometimes people ask the question, why didn't the Lord come today? Why didn't he come yesterday? Well, drop down and look, if you would, at verse 15. In verse 15, here's what Peter said, an account that the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. Why didn't Jesus come yesterday? Well, the reason is because he's giving us time and opportunity to get our hearts and lives right God wants us to be saved, absolutely. God wants you to be saved. God has taken every measure so that you might enjoy the riches of redemption, that is, the blessings of salvation. If you and I are not saved, whose fault is that? It's not God's fault. It's not the fault of Jesus because Jesus paid the price on Calvary. It's not the fault of the Holy Spirit because he has revealed unto the apostles, unto the sacred writers, God's marvelous plan of redemption. If we're lost, it's because we chose to live in a lost condition. So we have to exercise the time that we have so that we'll be right. As Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, today is the day of salvation. Now, what about the day of his coming, the day of his return? What does the Bible have to say about that? Well, first of all, let me ask this question. When is Jesus coming? My response is, I do not know. 
I do not have any idea when Jesus will come again. Jesus said, of that day and hour knoweth no man. Not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Only God knows when his son will return. Having said that, listen to what Peter said in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. In Matthew 25, Jesus said that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief would have come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. He uses that illustration to say to us, therefore, you and I, what do we need to do? We need to be ready. We need to be watchful. Why? Because he said, the Son of Man comes at an hour when we do not expect him. When do thieves break into homes? When do they break into businesses? They break into homes and businesses when we least expect it. When is Jesus going to come? When we least expect it. So Peter said the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Now, here's the second question. What's going to happen when Jesus comes? Look at verse 10. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in them will be burned up. Everything that you and I see, visibly speaking, is going to be destroyed. Every building, every house, every automobile, every stitch of clothing, every article in your home, every mountain, every valley, every tree, every flower, every blade of grass, everything that we can see with the visible eye is going to be destroyed. That's what, that's what Peter is saying here. Now, with regard to his coming, I want to suggest, first of all, his coming will be audible. When Jesus comes, you will know it. I promise you. How do I know that? Here's what, Peter, here's what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He said, The Lord himself would ascend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. When Jesus comes, everyone will know it. That is, all of us will know when Jesus comes. We'll know it audibly. Furthermore, we will know it visibly. Because here's what John said in the Revelation, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. He said, Behold, he is coming with the clouds. Now listen to him. And every eye, every eye shall see him. And they also who pierced him. When Jesus comes, it's not going to be a secret. He's not going to come in some subtle way, and you and I are not going to know anything about it. No, the Bible says when Jesus comes, everybody will know it. We will hear it and we will see it. And the Bible says the dead will be raised. That's what Jesus himself said in the book of John chapter 5. So, is Jesus coming again? Absolutely. Can I believe that? You better believe it. Can I bank on it? Again, you know you can. So, the surety of his coming. But there's a third thing I want you to see in our study. And this has to do with our steadfastness in view of his coming. 
You and I, we need to have this quiet resolve that says we're going to be faithful until Jesus comes. The song we sang a moment ago, we'll work till Jesus comes. First of all, what about our conduct in light of his coming? Now, I know that there are a lot of people in our world today, they could care less what the Bible says about Jesus, about God, about salvation, about the church. For the fact of the matter, they could care less about his second coming. But I promise you, he will come. And in light of his coming, Peter is saying, you and I need to make sure that our conduct is what it ought to be. We need to be living a life in view of his coming. So having said that, look now at verse 11. What about our conduct? How should we live in view of the second coming of Christ? Here's what Peter said. Therefore, that is, in light of all of these events, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, the elements will melt with fervent heat. Then drop down and look at verse 14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot, and blameless. Here's what Peter is saying to all of us. Jesus is coming. When he comes, everything that you and I may count as valuable here upon this earth is going to be destroyed. What we need to be focusing on is the inward man and not necessarily the outward man. What we need to be concerned about is our relationship to the Lord and not about our relationships to the things of this world. Why? Because the things of this world, they're going to be destroyed. The only thing that's going to stand the test of time is our relationship to God. So having said all of that, first of all, he says, you need to be living a holy life. Peter would say back in chapter 1, be holy. Why? Because God himself is holy. We have been sanctified. We've been set apart. We are to live a life that is to the glory of Almighty God. Where do we do that? In the church. Then he says we're to live a life of godliness. We are to be people who have reverence, who have respect for Jehovah God. There are a lot of people in our world today, they live godless lives. We need to live a life that reflects our reverence and all for God, that we believe that God is, that he is who he claims to be. And then Peter would say that we need to strive to be diligent, that is, to be found by him in peace. We talk about the importance of being at peace with one another. The Bible says that without peace, no man shall see the Lord. It's important that you and I are at peace with our fellow man, that we have peaceful relations with one another here upon this earth. And then he says we need to be found without spot. We don't want to be tainted, corrupted, if you please, by sin and unrighteousness and then blameless. When Jesus comes, we want to be found pure and just in his sight. Now, let me just pause here and say this. I know that there are a lot of people in the world, they are not concerned about the second coming of Christ. How do I know that? One reason is because of the way they live. You see, they're not living as if Jesus could come at any minute. 
If they believed that the Son of God could come today, do you think they'd be living like they're living? What about those who are in the body of Christ? Did you know that there are some people in the body of Christ? They've been baptized. Their sins have been washed away, but they are not living a faithful life. And because they're not living a faithful life, they're not involved in the work of the church. They're not faithful in their attendance to worship services. They don't study the Bible. They don't pray. What does that say about them? It says they're not concerned about Jesus coming. Jesus, when he comes, will catch a lot of people off guard. Will he catch you off guard? Will he come in your lifetime, in my lifetime? I don't know. If Je- Just hypothetically, if Jesus came today, if he came this hour, would you be numbered among the righteous, the faithful? Would you, meet, would you be among the sheep that Jesus portrays in Matthew 25, or would you be among the unrighteous, the ungodly? Would you be among the goats? We need to think about eternity and the fact that one day Jesus will come. We talk about our conduct in light of his coming, but then also the crown of life that is to be had at his coming. Drop back and look at verse 13 now. Here's what Peter said. Nevertheless, we according to his promise look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Peter there is saying that those of us who belong to the family of God, we're living in light of eternity. We're living in view of heaven one day. Peter would say back in chapter one that we have an inheritance, it's incorruptible, it's undefiled. He said it fades not away, it's reserved in heaven for you. You and I, we have before us the glorious hope of heaven. Jesus in the long ago said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. What about you? Are you living with a hope of heaven? We talk about the surety of his coming. The fact that Jesus is coming. Since he's coming and we know it, we ought to be steadfast. We ought to be living in such a way so that, hey, when he comes, we're ready. I used to have a friend and I could talk to him from time to time and sometimes he and I would go out and do various things together. And I would call him and say, are you ready? And he'd say, I'm sitting on go. That's the way we ought to be, sitting on go. As a matter of fact, Peter said, we ought to be looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. And the idea here is that as God's people, we ought to anticipate, we ought to expect his coming, we ought to earnestly desire his coming. Why? Because when Jesus comes, all the trials and the tribulations, the heartaches and the problems that we experience here on planet earth, they'll be over with. We'll no longer again have to deal with the problem of sin. We'll no longer again have to stand at the side of an open grave because Jesus has come and when he comes, we're going home to be with him forevermore. So, I ask you this question. Are you ready for his coming? Before you say absolutely, I'm ready for his coming, let me ask this question. Have you been baptized into Christ? 
If you haven't been baptized into Jesus Christ, could I say to you, you're not ready for his coming? Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. Those who have been baptized into Christ have been added to the body of Christ, Acts 2.47. They enjoy all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, and they are the only ones who have the hope of life eternal, Titus 1.2. A second question. If you've been baptized into Christ, are you faithful? Are you really faithful? Are you where you ought to be as a child of God? Does your life reflect the light of Christ each and every day? If your answer is no, if you're not living as you ought to be living, could I encourage you to come home today? Could I encourage you to come to repent, to give up a life of sin, to let us pray with you and for you, and the promise is God will abundantly pardon, according to 1 John 1, 9. We want you to go to heaven. We want to go to heaven. And we want to do everything within our power to take as many people with us. We understand Jesus is coming. We don't know when he's coming, but we want to be ready for him when he does come so that we will be numbered among the redeemed. Would you come as we stand and sing?